As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hi, my name is Travis Meyer, and I'm the web producer for the Crime Files podcast. First, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Not only do these real-life stories matter to the people who live their realities every day, but they also have the potential to get killers off the streets. Second, we want to know what you think of our new publishing schedule. Recently, we moved to a publishing format where we release a clump of new stories on the first Friday of every month. We want to know what you think of this. Do you like this pattern? Would you rather have one episode released at a time, or do you have a different idea? We want to know what works best for you so you can have the best access to our stories. Send us your feedback on the Fox 4 Podcast Facebook page. You can send us a message to our inbox or comment on a Crime Files post. We'll even post something specifically about this topic. We will then work to respond to you and integrate your ideas into our workflow. Again, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening and like Fox for Podcasts on Facebook. And now, here's the episode. In the last year in Kansas City, we had 150 homicides. About 40% of those cases in Kansas City remain unsolved. Many are considered cold, a heartbreaking reality for dozens of Metro families. This was soul crushing when it happened and the void that it's left is immeasurable to us. Each victim has a unique story in life and death, with friends, family, detectives, and prosecutors all fighting for answers. The first 48 hours, as everyone knows, are the, are the most important. That rings true. Just one tip could help solve the case. This is Fox 4 Problem Solvers Crime Files, the podcast. I'm Kara Small. Talk to me, baby. January 1970, the dawning of a new year, a new decade with new possibilities. It was a time of uncertainty and hope for change. The 1960s were full of controversy, starting with set-ins and race riots, protests over the Vietnam War, and the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We have a liftoff. We were in the middle of the space race, and finally the pinnacle of success with Neil Armstrong walking on the moon in 1969. 16-year-old Alan Thompson was also looking forward to the future on January 2, 1970. It was his first day back at Westport High School in Kansas City, Missouri, following the Christmas break. At the age of 16, Ellen already knew what he would do after graduation. His sister Nancy, who was three years older, said Ellen was preparing for his adult life at an early age. He was very patriotic and intended to, uh, in, after he graduated, he wanted to join the United States Army. Uh, he, and to prepare for that, he was an ROTC member at Westport with his class. The only boy in the family, Nancy says Alan was kind to her and his other two sisters, and he loved to be the center of attention. 
He was a very kind, thoughtful young man. My youngest sister was six years uh, younger than he was. And so he would often entertain her by making uh, shadow puppets and making up uh, games uh, and plays to entertain her. He was in the drama class uh, and he played in a, he was an actor in the Robin Hood play. I guess the school Westport took the uh, group and uh, played at her grade school. So this made her very happy and proud to point to her brother on stage that he was an actor. Yeah. Nancy also said that she had a lot of good memories of Alan as he grew into a teenager. He was well-liked and enjoyed high school. January 2nd, 1970 likely started as many other days in Alan's life had. Nancy says Alan returned to Westport High for the first school day of the new year. After class, Nancy says Alan went home. He lived near 37th and Forest in Kansas City, Missouri with his mom. One of his sisters lived in a home behind them. Older sister Nancy lived further away, but still in the neighborhood. Nancy said shortly after 9.30 p.m. that cold, snowy night, their mother and Alan left to run an errand. He had gone back to school on January 2nd, first day back to school, and I guess he had uh, this needed some school supplies. January 2nd, it's bitter cold there in Kansas City. There had been it was freezing weather, and uh, the door lock on the passenger side had frozen. So he was standing outside of the car door, which allowed the dome light of the car to shine on my mother. And she was the only one in the car. Sergeant Benjamin Caldwell with the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department says that's when several men noticed Alan's mom in the car. Two or three assailants approached his mother and began to rob her, began an armed robbery process. She started honking the horn, trying to garner attention and he told her to stop. Um, They had a weapon pointed at him. They chose at that point in time to go ahead and shoot him and to take off with her purse, and they ran away. Nancy didn't witness her brother's murder, but says her mother never forgot the details of what happened that night. This is what she told Nancy. A car drove by. They probably spotted my mother, uh, you know, by herself in the car. So they drove and passed and parked their car down the street, whoever, there might've been three or four people, we're not sure, but they came back uh, with a shotgun and my mother could hear, uh, she was still in the car, my brother was still outside the car. She could hear conversation uh, going on. Suddenly one of the men uh, poked his head in her car to grab her purse and she asked, she was saying, no, no, don't do that. And, you know, kind of a bit of a struggle, I guess. And Alan said, uh, don't mom, they have a gun on me. And before she could get out of the car, they shot him directly uh, in the neck and he died instantly on the scene. Police say a witness or two reported seeing several black teenagers or young men running from the area. The men got into a white car of some sort and just drove away. Investigators believe Allen was a random target. But as Sergeant Caldwell explains, it sounds like his murder likely started as a crime of opportunity. By all accounts, 
It was two or three youths that were committing a pattern of robberies in, in the area. All we knew was black males, teens to 20s, uh, average height, average weight, average build. Uh, but a lot of uh, purse snatchings and robberies had taken place in the area. Uh, this one, unfortunately, went wrong. While no one was arrested in the days and months following Allen's homicide, police certainly had people they liked for the murder. We did look at a couple people that we thought were, we would call subjects of interest. Someone that may, may have been involved, that, you know, where the investigation was kind of leading us that direction based upon interviews or rumors or, or something along those lines. And so we did develop a subject of interest, uh, one or two, but we were never, never able to turn them into suspects. We need probable cause. We need to believe that, yes, we can say for certain, uh, the person of reasonable prudence would say, yes, a cr this crime was committed and these people are responsible for the crime. So specifically what we would need would be something like eyewitness testimony or physical evidence, which they didn't have in 1970. Um, that would link the person to the crime, you know, DNA, fingerprints, um, things like that. Evidence like DNA and fingerprints are common to have in crimes today, but it could be a major issue as detectives try to solve Allen's murder. More on that after this. Unsolved crime plagues the Kansas City Metro. Police need your help to take killers off the streets. I'm Fox 4's Megan Dillard. Join us on the first Friday of each month when we release new episodes of the Fox 4 Crime Files, the podcast. Do you hold the clue that could solve the case? Fox 4 Crime Files, the podcast, because somebody knows. Prosecutors like to build cases on hard evidence, such as surveillance video, fingerprints, and DNA. Many, including Sergeant Caldwell, say now more than ever, jurors expect evidence like this to be presented during a trial. Now, investigations are led through forensics. Everyone expects DNA to be at the scene. They expect fingerprints to be on every surface we touch. And so today, what it really takes is we need eyewitness testimony and corroborating physical evidence to support that claim. It's known as the CSI effect. The term comes from the long-running TV series CSI Crime Scene Investigation. Shows like CSI and other true crime dramas take viewers into crimes. The crime is likely investigated and solved during the hour-long episode. Prosecutors say the CSI effect is making it much more difficult for them to win cases without DNA evidence. That's one of several issues in the 50-year-old homicide of Alan Thompson. The problem is that in Allen's murder, there aren't fingerprints to test or DNA left behind. Sergeant Caldwell says everything that could be tested to help track down Allen's killer has already been tested. There's just nothing left. We've re-ran all of our old DNA. Um, we have nothing pending in the lab and everything's been ran and everything continues to run in the computers. The purse, we, I don't think we ever recovered the actual purse that was taken. Um, and over time, DNA and things degrade as well. So that, those are definitely obstacles we run into. And in this case, the weapon they used did not leave um, unique identifying characteristics. Even though it was a firearm, it was still nothing unique about it. Uh, in fact, the nature of the weapon leaves it very random and it makes it very hard to, to, to link those up and solve them. Uh, and nothing was really touched. A lack of evidence isn't the only problem with the case. It's been five decades since Alan was killed. Potential witnesses have died or moved away. Those who are still around have likely forgotten key details. Memories do fade, and that's what really creates challenges in these cold cases. 
when the crime is fresh, people can come forward and they can say with certainty what they saw. And we can get a, a statement and oftentimes we can get them in the courtroom and those things line up and the jury believes that it makes sense to them. In our case, as time goes by, you, you know, memories fade. A witness testimony is challenged more and more in the court system every day and is deemed unreliable. Um, and it just doesn't carry the weight it used to. Sergeant Caldwell is right. Things have changed a lot since 1970. Even the way police notify victims' families has changed. In January of 1970, Nancy says no one knocked on her door to tell her what happened. She says she turned on the TV and learned what happened to her brother, along with everyone else in Kansas City. On the night that it, this happened, um, I was watching the news and I only heard the last two, uh, I heard the street and the last two numbers of the house. This was in the time where they didn't, they didn't wait to call and notify people. They just put it on the air regardless. And so I, I heard of my brother's murder on the 10 o'clock news. And of course, we went, uh, you know, left right away. And after speaking to my mom, knowing what happened, and then we went and joined her there at the house. Things didn't get any easier for Nancy, her sisters, or her parents over the years. Nancy's dad died in 1986. Her mom's been gone since 1994. Nancy says the night that her brother died haunted her mom for decades until her death. She at the time was living in Texas, and as we were preparing to, you know, shut down the house, um, she had this suitcase, and she would never, any, many times I went to visit, and she would never let me look inside. This suitcase contained um, every card and letter and note of condolences that people had sent to express their kindness and their sympathies. And so, you know, she had moved that from Kansas City to Texas when she, when she went moved there all those years. It was very sad. This was soul crushing when it happened and the void that it's left is immeasurable to us. And we, we lost so much uh, over the decades. You know, we didn't get to see the man that he would become. While it's going to be difficult to solve Alan Thompson's murder 50 years later, Sergeant Caldwell says it's not impossible. And it's a fight we're always going to be willing to take up. If we can get the start on this one, you know, my hope is something like this would generate generate a lead, generate someone to be able to come up and say, you know what, I saw something that day that maybe I, I didn't think was important, and it turns out to be, or I saw it happen and I know who did it, and I didn't divulge that information at that point in time for whatever reason, um, fear of retaliation or whatever the case was, that is willing to come forward and say, now, I saw it happen, I'll tell you what I know. Sergeant Caldwell says that's exactly what he needs. Someone is going to have to come forward with information to help solve this cold case. He believes it eventually will happen. And he hopes it's sooner rather than later. You know, people grow up, people change. Uh, they mature emotionally as well as physically. Uh, circumstances change. Perhaps the person that's one of the people who's responsible is no longer living. And so there's not that fear of retaliation of coming forward. Information is good but I can't not put information on the stand. I have to have a witness that's willing to come forward and say, this is what I saw, this is what I heard, this is what I know to be true, and I'll take that oath, and I'll sit in the chair, and I'll testify against the, the accused.
for this crime. And even then, even though you can't hold someone accountable for that crime, you can at least bring to the family and, uh, I'm not gonna say closure, because closure doesn't exist. You, that is, that you can't bring that person back. But you can tell that family, we were finally able to say with certainty, this is who was responsible for the crime. Sergeant Caldwell says detectives reviewed Allen's murder numerous times over the decades. The more eyes on it, the better, just to make sure there's nothing more that we can do, no one else we can talk to at this point in time. But this one remains in a suspended status, waiting for someone to come forward with information. Allen's sister actually called police and asked the cold case squad to take a fresh look at her brother's case. Sergeant Caldwell says the cold case squad granted her request, and they even tied up a handful of loose ends, but no real answers. We reviewed the case. Uh, there were a couple little leads we were able to follow up on. Um, there was a white car that was stolen the day before the incident that we think may or may not have been involved. We were able to identify um, the owner of that white vehicle and get some information about that, hoping to get suspect information to see if these two cases were linked, that it might lead us somewhere, but it didn't. Uh, so yeah, after a case review, we looked through it and we decided that the detectives did a really good job initially with the investigation. and. We were really left with no answers. After 50 years and a complete case review, detectives say they are no closer to identifying Allen's killers. But Sergeant Caldwell has a message for Nancy and her sisters. I would say just because we've tried and haven't been able to find someone doesn't mean it's over with yet. And not to give up, that we're just waiting on that lead. We're just waiting on something that will give us some traction to go with again and we don't know if or when that day is gonna come, but to hold hope. Nancy says after all this time, it's hard to believe that Alan's murder will ever be solved. We always hope, but yes, you know, the thing happen, The thing to uh, wonder about now is, uh, are the, the individuals, are they dead uh, or deceased? Um, uh, are they in jail? Uh, did they tell family members and, uh, you know, if they did tell family members, would they be willing to call the tips line to uh, give information of what they know? Even if the person is deceased, we would love to know what happened. 50 years is a long time to wait for justice, for answers. Alan Thompson was just 16 years old in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was trying to protect his mother from two or three teenagers or men with a gun. Protect and defend. That's what Alan planned to do with his life by joining the Army. That's how he lost his life, by standing up to protect his mother. If you know anything about Alan's murder, call the TIPS hotline at 816-474-TIPS. You can also email your tip to kccrimestoppers.com or send your tip through the Crime Stoppers app. You can download it at p3tips.com. To listen to other episodes of Fox 4 Crime Files, search for them on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as fox4kc.com. For Fox 4 Crime Files, I'm Kara Small. Crocker Vernon Point.